That's the only thing I can really do competently. <laughs> Janupa, what were you good at again? Now I'm recording. <laughs> I just wanted to let you know and let your listeners know that, yeah, I'm really good at introducing myself. Really, really good. <laughs> For those on the radio, my eyes got large <laughs> to emphasize how good I am at introducing myself. Let's hear it then. Let's hear it. Okay. <laughs> well, Docha, Maragua, Dishkagna Hudosha, Nitwe Hudosha. I'm Chinupahanska Luger. I'm an enrolled member of the Mandan Hidatsa Rikara tribes. I'm also Lakota and have European descent as well in my uh, genealogy. And I'm from North Dakota on the Missouri River. And uh, I'm currently in Montana once again on the Missouri River. It's kind of amazing. Feels like a homecoming up here. And I'm the lead artist, I suppose, on concept artist, maybe it's a better, better way to state me <laughs> for the settlement project uh, that began as a, as a engagement in Plymouth, UK, but has then grown and become a online occupation, digital occupation of space and ideas through indigenous lenses. And our friend on the radio with us today uh, is a member of that cohort and a linchpin in the transmission of indigenous experiences to a digital format. So please introduce yourself. Wopila Chinupa Hihe, She Rizalbanala, Yunisha, Oglala, Lakota, Nishle, Hanagari Bashi. My name is Rizal Benali. I am Oglala Lakota and also of the Diné Nation in, in Arizona. I am in my last year of graduate studies at the Tisch School of the Arts, New York University in New York City. I am coming to you live straight from Jersey City, New Jersey, where I currently reside and I am a film director, screenwriter, recently delving back into the doc genre. And I guess that's about it. I'm, I came on board with this project with uh, Chanupa uh, Ginger and the rest of the cohort. And um, yeah, we made, we made some stuff happen pretty, pretty, pretty stoked on it. Roselle's being very humble. She uh, put herself in harm's way to travel the country during a pandemic to uh, a couple of the um, hubs of native people, native art people uh, across the country to document their experiences and share what it's like where they live and what they've been up to. And that the documentary series, these like portraits of artists have been really kind of enlightening for everybody, I think. And in all honesty, it, it was a great way to transmit this idea of settlement, um, colonialism, you know, from a physical occupation of space to a digital occupation of space. And um, what was, I, I think, the kind of like brilliant angle for, for Rizal's participation in this. One, 
her eye is amazing. I, I've worked with Rizelle for for years on a couple of other projects that I've that I've done. She's been my my go-to. Like when I got no script, no blocking, no nothing, I'm like Rizelle, stand behind the camera. I got something to do, and uh, she's got a good eye for that. And so um, she traveled around and and actually instead of inhabiting other people's space, invited the audience through a digital lens to experience the space that the artists inhabit kind of um, nationally. Uh, and that's that I think is a more honest description of um, the term settlement that we wanted to engage with with our project, which is not the physical occupation of space, but um, more so the legal term. Like let's let's have a settlement here. Let's come to um, let's come to terms and uh, and and be honest maybe for the first time. And in that, um, documenting everybody in their home and in their place, it creates complexity and diversity under the umbrella of, of indigenous, you know, under the umbrella of Native American, um, uh, whatever other terminology. This is a experience for people to, in, you know, that we invited people through Roselle's camera, through the crew, through her editing process, <laughs> all of that to, in order to invite people into, um, to experience human people being human, you know? Um, and that I think is, it's really cool because the artists that we invited are really cool people. They're always up to something, doing something and being very creative and expressive. And, uh, and those tiny glimpses into their lives pale in comparison to what they, what they do, uh, you know, over, over their lifetime. And yet, Roselle was able to, I don't know, spark interest in so many different people's experiences and then share that on a, on a global network, which is wonderful. So I like her. <laughs> I don't want to interrupt. I, this I'm is like, the I thing. Didn't I, wanna, you know, like, I'm like, what do I say? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Chinupa. Um, it's like, hot damn, like, did I, like, that went down you know I never really thought of it like that I was just trying to like I said um in in my little statement that I want to just really it's as simple as being like a, a vessel of access you know and going back to like what Chinupa said about um I what was the most important to me was like me coming into someone's very personal and intimate space artists um I feel like uh, what I know of artists is that their space is is very personal and people don't always get the chance to be led into other people's studios and when they do like a studio visit it's always like an event you know but like on the everyday you don't usually go you're not really invited I feel like to people's spaces and of course that's dependent on the artist but like I just feel like wherever this person's work is this is their the heart and soul of their creativity I, I don't want to be that person that just barges in and you know starts picking up a cool object and being like oh like you know take this let me film you with it and I'll bet I'm guilty of doing stuff like that in the past like 
Chinupa, I'm sorry. <laughs> I've gone into Chinupa's mini uh, studios many a time and just like picked up random things. And yeah. um, hold this, hold this, hold and this. tell me about it. Tell <laughs> all the time. Come on, uh, you always do it too. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, I'm good at introducing myself. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So call so, that. So, <laughs> so can I ask you about this phrase? Uh -huh. The phrase. Um, vessel of access uh which as you said mm -hmm. like um that you used in in the statement or the notes that you made for the settlement website mm -hmm. and in those same notes you also talk about how you and chanupa have discussed um the kind of colonial language of of filmmaking of, of capture of cut of these kinds of languages i was wondering if like in the in the process of these films and this this vessel of access if you you kind of you know, does that open up a new language of filmmaking for you? Um, I would say consciously, yes. I mean, that's just kind of ingrained for me in, in what I've always done, um, especially, but like nowadays, the way I see, especially with documentary, I don't want to be the person contriving situations and then, and then filming it. I wanna be an observation, uh, a point of observation. And although like, because of my lived experience, who I am and my, my whole unique life is going to affect my perception of a situation, that's what makes me filming this different than somebody else in going and filming. And I think, you know, I do, I do tend to find relationships in whoever it is I'm filming and I'll, 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 I'll harp on whatever it is that, that's there, an energy, a, a vibe. I don't want to sound like too hokey pokey when I say that, but <laughs> it is, a lot of it is just um, feeling things out, what feels right, observing, the situation and allowing the artists in, in settlement, it was allowing the artists, it was having a conversation with them upon my arrival with uh, my assistant and, and cinematographer, Adam. And it was really just arriving, uh, intro introducing ourselves, having a conversation about what felt right and really allowing the artists to sort of giving them the freedom to, to show us whatever it is they, they felt comfortable with. And with that sort of approach, I feel like it really, really changed the way settlement could have been into like what it is now. And a lot of it was just being sensitive to the fact that we were in a pandemic and I wasn't given complete freedom to do many things. and. And that was okay, you know, I went with it. And that's, and going back to like colonial language, I mean, you know, we talk about all kinds of things, you know, especially during the, during the duration of this project. And that's just another conversation. Um, that's just language to me at this point. It's like how I carry out action is like what's more important to me. So that's how I feel about that. I don't know if that answers any of your questions. 
Yeah, there's like a strange, um, there's a strange inherent violence in, in filmmaking. And I think for most um, non-Western people, uh, especially through documentation, that, that effort to um, categorize people and um, objectify people and cultures is embedded in a, in a much older system, older than film itself. But as film became a, uh, a tool for documentation, for uh, telling people stories, when it, when it was applied through an anthropological lens, you see the, the blatant and inherent violence in the language of, of filmmaking. It's, shooting and capturing and cutting yeah shooting and and i think for most people who've experienced settler colonialism extractive colonialism any sort of kind of like uh expansion of empire uh and have felt the effects of that shooting and capturing it's like too soon you know like too soon and and we bypass all of that because we're like oh it's just it's just the language that we use you know um, but I know I wouldn't think about it except that that's the filter that I that I was raised in. And and you have this history, you know, kind of white savior anthropologists with a, an agenda coming into um, brown communities globally and using film as a as a way to document what they want to pre present to their audience, you know. And so this was an opportunity for for. Um, us to, to document. I, I think it's important that there are folks like Rizal and other other artists, you know, working within this medium, because it changes the way that you engage. I mean, just as Rizal was mentioning, this studio visit kind of scenario. Artists are probably some of the most generous people I've met, and they don't even acknowledge or recognize it. And and like you know, oftentimes maybe they're narcissistic. And I'm just saying this from my own perspective, you know. Uh, but simultaneously, they share so much with their audience. But they're, for, for Native people, um, and I think a lot, probably a lot of people outside of the dominant culture kind of narrative, they spend so much of their time unpacking their work rather than presenting it as, exper you know, experiential or ecstatic um, experiences, you know. Um, and so to have that lens come into your studio and document your experience, and it's not the, the gaze that you're used to um, operating under, um, it opens up a, a genuine kind of uh, engagement. And that's kind of what was like important to me of, of you know, having Roselle be the, the person who enters into those spaces. She's really good at, at kind of like, dismantling any of the the preconceived narratives that we present you know to like say a white gallerist or a you know museum or institution visiting the studio you know um, there's a falseness in that presentation that is uh that was kind of like bypassed by having Roselle be the one coming into people's studios and documenting plus a lot of you know Indian country's small and so a lot of the people who um who I mean, especially in the in the art world, you know, there's like there's a lot of us, but there's not a lot of us, you know. And the reality is, we all end up kind of meeting each other or you know knowing each other in one way or another. And so that also opens up more of like a, a friendly visit than a than a um, kind of really cold call kind of experience. Not to say that that didn't happen. Like there are definitely some 
we had such a broad spectrum of artists um, even before I started this project. There's like many that I had never met. There's one here actually in Montana, Raven Hafman, who's a ceramic artist who I liked. I really liked their work, but I never met them in person. And I just met them because they're presently here. Um, but that's that's the, the tightness of this circle, you know? Um, you kind of end up engaging with everybody. So that inherent, back to this like language aspect, like um, I've always been kind of aware of that since I started moving into film kind of kind of stuff and, and tried to like adjust it, but I'm not, I'm not in it the way that Roselle is. And there, you know, because this is systemic, like there is a level of, I suppose just like efficiency, you know, where this language is is used over and over and over again, and to be succinct and to clarify what the director wants, you have to use that language in order to have your your crew operate, you know. So, for me, it's easy because it's like me and maybe one other person, and I can say gather the footage rather than shoot the subject, <laughs> you know. Uh, uh, <laughs> And, and, it, and it doesn't make a difference, you know, um, but it doesn't change the, the system either, you know, um, that's something that I can do kind of in my own tiny bubble of, of <laughs> filmmaking, I suppose. <laughs> I know, it was the, I, I remember um, one point, um, it just kept coming up and then, uh, and then Ginger and I just, just completely dramatically in the Oklahoma trip. I think I think it was where it felt like it was it felt like dramatic to me in my head it probably wasn't but I was like we will gather we will gather the footage <laughs> and it and it became like this like it wasn't really like a joke but it was it made us all laugh because you know it is it is um it's pretty uh it's pretty disgusting <laughs> to say okay we're gonna let's uh shoot sterling harjo over here and yeah. then after that you know as long as we capture this whole area <laughs> like <laughs> you know and it's like that you know that statement is is pretty pretty awful you know yeah yeah well i mean and you know from an anthropological level like that has been applied you know um what's his name uh uh curtis curtis Curtis, you know, um, Edward Curtis. Uh, Edward? Is that his name? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Edward Curtis. Edward Curtis, you know, started this whole, or maybe he didn't start it, but he was um, famed for his effort to gather the, the vanishing race, you know, in, in America. He got, he got funding because he presented it in that way to an audience that was excited to support the gathering of this vanishing race, but in no way amend or repair the damage to save said vanishing race, you know? And so his effort to document um, these, these people and these experiences, like this is 18, late 1800s, early 1900s, somewhere in there. Is that the, is that the time frame of, of Edward? Anyway. And he 19... made the film, yeah, he made, what was the film there in the land of the headhunters, the, the, the film that he made as well as um, on the Pacific Northwest, as well as the, the photographs, that was, I think, early, early 20th century. Early 20th yeah. century. 1914. Yeah. 1914. Okay, to be, thanks for fact checking that. I'm like, in the year 1600, <laughs> 
uh, Edward Curtis had a camera. <laughs> and he shot and captured everything he could. Um, and in that, in that effort, yeah, yeah, early, early 20th century, Native people were adapting to settler colonial folks being in our environment. And there was no effort to prevent us from trading with these folks. And so it disturbed Edward Curtis to see us with Western uh, gear as like a living, breathing, adapting culture. Uh, that's not what his audience wanted. And so he carried around with him a trunk of Indian stuff and, uh, and, and would edit the, the photos. And I'm like, that's, that's, that's too toxic in an effort to present us as, as, um, as the way they wanted us to be. So this is not scientific. This is not anthropological. This is a decisive kind of effort and maneuver. And you, you see that, you see that through documentation. Um, I mean, all, you see that today, you know, you see that in, in how we, we kind of like document and glorify and obsess over um, certain aspects of what the audience wants to see. And so media will angle um, narratives to generate that sort of content, you know? Um, and granted, sure, the content's there. Like it doesn't take much effort to do that. But if that's all you're documenting, then you're creating a skewed observation of the experience just to facilitate the, the desire and the demand of the audience, you know? And my question is, does the audience even want that? You know, like that's the thing that's fascinating to me. It's like, are we eating shit because that's what they're feeding us, you know? Um, and, and we don't know any other option, you know? Um, and, I, and I think that there has been like, you know, maybe 20 years ago, that was the thing that was really feeding media and news and stuff like that. And they've been kind of regurgitating that model up until present. But there is an extension of, empathy in response to the coldness of a 20 year ago generation's experience without access to one another without the ability to communicate from culture to culture so we're generating a style of of film and media that is feeding a generation that that is that barely exists anymore you know so i i think it's important to to generate empathy to generate uh, an honest documentation because I think that's what we actually want because we have access to it. Um, but it's just a matter of shifting the idea of the people who produce said work um, away from the narrative of, you know, victim and crisis and trauma, you know, that, that those things do exist, but the resilience of people's efforts to, to, um, endure through that is kind of the more celebratory and more amazing aspect of resilience, you know? Um, and I think we need to see that today. I think we need to see how we can adapt to, to um, any sort of that harm as a way to heal. Um, if not for it, just seeing us heal is one thing, but um, each like us seeing each other heal, that inspires us in a way that, um, seeing seeing our our misfortune and our uh brutality kind of stitched over and over and over again um there's no growth from that space and we need, we need to grow from it
And that's, you know, that's kind of some of the things we wanted to present with settlement. You know, we, we were bringing contemporary native artists. We didn't want to um, emphasize a historical context for the audience in the UK. We wanted to present a very contemporary, like this is the work we are making today. This is the impact we are having today. Um, and it's not through a anthropological lens. It's not through a relocation of culture. It is an adaptation of culture and, and a resilience to endure and present above and beyond the expectations of the audience that we're presenting to. That was the emphasis even for the physical occupation. So it was a, it was a matter of transmitting that through a digital filter. I, I, kept, I kept smiling early on. Um, radio people can't see, see me smile, but when you're talking about Edward Curtis traveling around with a, a trunk of, of Indian stuff, because he was disturbed at seeing, you know, the, the segue of, I will not be even the segue, the assimilation of native peoples. Um, I just kept thinking, what if Adam and I were traveling around with a trunk of random suitcase? <laughs> <laughs> native artist stuff. Yeah. My mind was like picturing um, giving Yadiko loincloth to, to paint a, an aerosol mural. Down yeah, yeah, totally. Could you wear this buffalo headdress actually while you're doing that? Um, because your Nikes are, are obscuring um, who you are. Exactly. And it's like... I was just I was just thinking of all the different things. Can you put this feather in your hair? Well, the the like... sad <laughs> the sad thing is from my experience of traveling abroad and traveling to Europe is that this narrative still exists there, you know? Um there is an expectation of us being Winnetou, you know, not even like a culture group but like a a mythical, you know, Indian, you know? Um, like so many times, different places, different parts of, of, of Europe, you know, there's always somebody who rolls up to me and is just like, you know, how are you, how are you Indian? You know, like, um, it doesn't, you know, like I'm, I'm having a hard time. You're not what I wanted to see. You know, mm -hmm. I came to this exhibition. I thought for sure it was going to smell like, uh, smoked buckskin, you know, and, um, and you would have feathers in your hair, you know, like I was hoping that that's, that's what I, that's what I wanted to see. And I'm a little bit disappointed, you know, um, that it's you, even though you got a, a, a good Lakota name. <laughs> the most, I might add. <laughs> the most Lakota name. It just, it's, you're not the guy that I wanted to see. And it, that's, that I think is that pervasive effect of the documentation, you know, and, and the extension of that, you know, and I don't want to shame anybody for this effort because the extension of that is if you don't see me the way you want to see me, then maybe I have to dress the part in order for you to see me the way that I see myself. I see myself as a native person. You don't see me as a native person. So maybe if I dress the way you see native person, you will see me as native person. And then I can move beyond that conversation and present to you what I came here for in the first place. And you see this in politics over and over again. And you see it through um, art exhibitions and, and opportunities 
of, of native people traveling abroad and engaging with cultures outside of, of their own and communities outside of their own, that oftentimes they will dress the part in order to be seen as such. And that's disturbing that that, that, that icon becomes the model, you know? And uh, I think it was Vine Deloria talked about the super Indian, you know, um, and how incredibly pervasive that is to um, an identity for, for native people that we have to become the super Indian, you know? And, and, um, and so much so that when your culture is being like uh, torn away from you from a gener you know, two generations ago and, you're, and you want access to that culture again because finally you have a little bit of breathing room to experience it and understand it and have like a cultural identi identity, oftentimes you have to run that through the filter of the super Indian. You know, and uh, it's 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 upsetting. I would love to be the super Indian. Like I try so hard, but I can't I can't communicate with animals the way the super Indian does. You know what I'm saying? Like he's fluent in elk and beaver. Um, he, and wind. You know, and wind, wind. He knows wind. Um, and maybe maybe there was a time. You know, maybe there was a time. And and you know what? The truth of the matter is that's still honest. Like there are, there are ways to read all of that, but it, it, the way it's translated isn't through like uh, an empirical scientific knowledge of uh, uh, patience and observation. The reason we could read in the wind and, and communicate with animals is because that we adapted with them as, as kin, as an extension of our community. And so we learned that subtle language without words, you know, uh, of what they mean, what they're doing through generations of, of knowledge, recognizing indigenous people as, as scientists, you know, as, as people aware of their surroundings at that sort of level is not as romantic as the ability to have them have some sort of magical ability to communicate with the animal um, uh, inherently, you know? It's like, no, I can talk freaking wind because I've watched wind, I know what it does. We watched it for my grandfather told me that when it comes down this way, we'll probably get some snow in the next week. And, and, and that's been true for generations, you know? And so this is empirical knowledge. This is patience and observation, you know? Um, but it's science, you know? It's, it's, it's something that the Western wants to hold and claim as their own, but we're human beings. We're, we've invested everything in our brains. We gave up fangs and claws in order to, to, to be intelligent and adapt to our environments, you know? I don't so. know, man. I still like to believe that I can speak and, and listen to wind. I, I do not <laughs> doubt this. That's what I'm saying. But like, is it, is it inherent is the question. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've literally... I, uh, we're both, we both have experienced plains, right? Like grasslands. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I love the most and that was really kind of interesting to me is going back to reading wind, you can see wind travel across the grass. You know, you can see it move from so far away and it pushes. And I was able to apply that same knowledge when I had the opportunity to go sailing with like a white family in the, in the San Juans, you know? And I, I was like, oh, wind on the water moves the same way as it does on the plains. You can see these gusts coming from, from a distance and you can adjust your jib <laughs> in order, you know? 
Um, and they were like, wow, you're pretty good at that, you know? And, I'm, and you know, of course I'm like, well, yeah, I can talk to the wind. <laughs> My long hair. The stars. Yeah, yeah. An eagle so flew like, over. <laughs> so these, these kind of like imposed expectations, I mean, I guess we, we're coming to also think about the kind of original plan for the project, like the original um, settlement project, which would have been in Plymouth, UK. And um, Roselle, I also wanted, you know, as we're on the radio, I just want to shout out to my mother, uh, Sheila Finlay, who is listening in just about 20 miles north of Plymouth uh, and uh, like thinking about what it would have meant for this, you know, project and your films, Roselle, to be, you know, on location in that part of the world um, where this voice speaks from, even though I live now in Ohio, it's like, what do you think? I mean, I was also thinking about Roselle making films on site in the UK with, you know, without that kind of, with a different kind of intimacy with the artists, right? It would have been very different, you know, it would have been kind of documenting a, a, a kind of community, um, Kind of intervention as it was like as, as the occupation right um so yeah i mean when you think about and you wrote about this in the statement about a kind of um the resilience of being able to transition the the, the whole project right um for, into a digital project you know do you sometimes think about not only like what it would have been like to have been making these these films in that context but also the audience in that context, how they might, you know, experience these films, you know, think about that UK audience as well. Um, I haven't really thought much about that, to be honest. I don't really, uh, my mind doesn't work like that, um, to think of like, how could I have done this? Sure. Which was funny because it was, um, it was a question I asked all the other artists. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> um, no, but in all seriousness, I, I never, I never once thought how would have, uh, how would my contributions to this project have differed than what it is now? And, and I never really thought about it. And I, and I almost like refuse to think about it because all of my energy and sight went into what it is now and being that i'm still even up to this morning editing settlement videos like i have no room in my brain to think like i wonder what settlement would have been i mean i i i no, i did go no. through a grieving process though <laughs> okay. i did go through a grieving process of not being able to experience what the initial idea was and although the grieving process, and I use grieving like in quotes actually, um, it was, it was, it happened, I think maybe like when we we're halfway done with filming, we had gone to, we have done New Mexico, we have, we had done New York and, and the Northwest. And I remember at one point thinking, like feeling so grateful that. I was able to meet with all of these people and do this. And then it, it did hit me like, oh man, that that hit me. The, the thing that did hit me was like, we could have all been together 
you know, at, at one point and I want, and then that's when I, I did have a, a similar thought maybe of like, I wonder what, I wonder if it would have been like magical and amazing, like the way I'm experiencing things now, but uh, maybe it wouldn't have, maybe it would have been a like, big giant mess for me and I would have stomped away out of Plymouth for some weird reason. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I, I mean, no, but seriously though, I did have like a moment of like, how beautiful this could have been over there us being all together instead of me like individually going to because it was just it was more or less just feeling the magic of (laughs) the magic and feeling that energy between people and and a mutual gratitude for each person that was not said you know there were many thank you said but there was Every time I left this, uh, we left the space. I always felt like, "Wow, that was amazing." I'm so utterly thankful to have been able to be this person doing this. And so um, there was that point of like where, you know, I, I'm sad that we're not over there, but at the same time, as as it hit, it just it went away because what we're doing, what I felt like what we're doing in that moment was, um, it took all of my energy and it was my priority, it was important. And usually my brain doesn't doesn't think like that. So I don't know how it would have been. Um, And I I don't, don't, sometimes I'm like, I don't really care to know because we have what we have. And and like I said, I'm still, I think I, I, I feel like sometimes like, Am I the only one still working at a settlement right now? <laughs> no offense, Shanifa, because I know you work 24-7 sometimes. Um, but no, sometimes I'll be like editing and like I'll be like thinking about the artists and thinking about when we shot and X, Y, and Z. And then sometimes I'm like alone at two o'clock in the morning and like burning that midnight oil and just like really honed in and focus and trying to trying to make a deadline um which I I just I'm terrible at so it's that moment though when when I when I when I'm there and I'm like am I the am I the only one in this world thinking about settlement right now but you never know maybe there's somebody in California or Texas watching those videos just randomly you know in Canada UK definitely you know, Germany, who knows, you know, and that's the beautiful thing. And then I think about that and, you know, those are, those are where, that's how my, that's how my brain works sometimes. Well, I got to tell you, I've been quite jealous that you've got to travel around and um, hang out with these folks, you know, because that was uh, my role at the, at the original project was I was going to be there the whole time as a way to kind of like invite in each week of new artists coming in to kind of experience. And so I was really excited to be able to be a part of that, that gathering that you mentioned, you know, and, and um, I was like, oh, now Roselle gets to go all over the place and meet with all the folks that I invited to the party. Like, how come I can't go to the party anymore? I, I got to stay at home. So many times I, on, my, on my phone, I had written, Rizelle, you're the only one working on settlement right now. And I just, I've never pressed send because I was like, don't, don't do it. Don't. <laughs> oh my God. You're the only one. <laughs> oh I'm the only one. 
I'm uh, talking about at like three, four o'clock in the morning though. I yeah, know I'm like still once up. you and I'm once, still once, up. once once you it's and Ginger loaded. wake up, it's like <laughs> <laughs> I know. Thank goodness. It, you know? Thank goodness we have we have Ginger um oh, keeping oh, us on 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 track. Ginger, wherever you are, thank you for yes. everything you have done. Yeah. She's I here with us. Yeah, we all we all we all have so much to thank Ginger for as well. Again, you know, just to share with our listeners, if, if Ginger has helped coordinate and organize these conversations in each of these episodes with you, Chanupa, and with this episode with you, Rizal, like, you know, I couldn't have done this. What what people are listening to now would not be possible without um, um, Ginger Junhill to be able to do this. So yeah, deep gratitude. Yeah, she's the organizer for the U.S. side of this project, and so she, she, you know, for all of the artists that were engaging, there was a lot of emails going back and forth. She might be the the one who maybe outworks you, Rizal, on on the settlement project, uh, but she's asleep at three in the morning. That's yeah. when she sleeps. I'm glad. I'm glad. She's she's not on UK time. That's the thing. Yeah, <laughs> you're you're working on UK time, Rizal. I, I am. I am working on UK time. <laughs> I have a very odd sleep schedule. I think I've been getting four hours of sleep every day and like working like four, close to like 14 hours a day. It feels like like every yeah. day for the last three weeks. It, so, um, yeah. So, I mean, hard, hard days, but you know, Shanupa, you know what it's like. Yeah. I've been, I've been in the same thing. Just not just a whole different whole different scenario. I'm at a residency up here in Montana. So I've been pushing around clay until like three, four o'clock in the morning, still awake and trying to get stuff in giant kilns um, and make things without being limited by my uh, kiln size. But I think that there's something in that, you know, um, as you would travel to each artist's home, you're actually filming what art is you know it's not the finished product that we we present to the audiences it's the process of making it and how we make it and why we make it you know art is is an action you know it's an activity it's something that that happens not something that has happened um so this you know that's the other kind of awesome possibility of presenting um a film of of people's experiences is that you're you're actually sharing the art you know um not the byproduct of the art uh and that's kind of what folks were invited into to experience it's amazing watching the as someone again Rizal you can speak to the the experience of making these films but the visceral experience of watching these films uh and showing the kind of the art making is happening in spaces beyond studios in in you know in you know in open spaces in shared familial spaces to you know and and i just the the capturing of sorry there's that word right <laughs> the, the, like uh Pee-wee's playhouse word yeah. of the day <laughs> let's find another word the 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 the, 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 the attention the attention to uh, to the to the artist's hands, to artists' thought processes as they're coming through in the you know it's just really visceral, and I just think I'm so grateful to to these films. Um, you know, we live in a time because of the pandemic of of so much digital and remote access to art, right? But it, it's the process that you brought to this project that means that that access is 
is, is, is an artwork in itself. And, and, and therefore, I think that that's what's been, as someone watching these films and watching them develop as a group, and also even following Instagram stories of behind the scenes, all everything that goes into it has just been about that, about what Chanupa's saying, the kind of visceral active process of art making and art making in place, which has just been really, you know, really incredible to watch. So I'm very grateful to you for that. Thank you. I mean, it, it was, it was, uh, every, every day was a new, was a new experience and every day I was going into something, not knowing what it was going to look like, not know, not knowing the lighting situation, uh, sometimes not knowing the person's on camera presence. Sometimes I was going in there not knowing if we would, I would get COVID, you know, and being yeah. super careful. That was like the biggest thing, and being cognizant of. Um, of just basic, you know, safety guidelines because we were in COVID. So doing our best to maintain six feet of distance at all times, doing our best to keep our masks on in indoor situations, doing our best to sanitize lav mics, cameras, equipment, our hands, <laughs> you know. And, and, and so there was a lot of there was a lot of unknowns and it really once I think about it it's kind of it's kind of crazy <laughs> it's a little I can't believe you know we did it and you know I had Adam um, Conti as my assistant as my as the cinematographer and I'm grateful for for his role and he was amazing throughout the whole process was a real trooper and we did pull 20 hour days, you know, which is not industry standard by any means, but it was waking up early, traveling, driving, shoot, shooting. Right. <laughs> um, it was, it was gathering footage. It was all day until the wee hours of, you know, I remember getting to Gallup at one night, one night at two o'clock AM no, I think it was like three o'clock a.m. And then by the time we went to sleep, it was 4.30 after um, pulling the footage off camera, after charging, putting our batteries on the charging docks and and then settling in. And by the time I went to sleep, it was like 4.30. And then Adam and I had to wake up at seven to leave the hotel by 7.30 to get to our destination at like 8 a.m. or something like that. And it was just insane. And then we had to zip, you know, it was driving, it was traveling, it was, it was just trying our best to be safe in this crazy experience. But we did shoot at the down, at the low point of COVID, you know, when uh, there, the cases weren't skyrocketing. We had gone into that dip and, but still, I mean, the, it was real the um, everything was real yeah i think that that's you know it's interesting to consider the the um peril you know that goes into you know what was presented and just seemed so easy you know and and i think that's some of the tricks for artists creative people culture bearers you know is that people get to engage with with the outcome 
but not necessarily the process of the of making it you know and it's like do you 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 don't understand the sacrifices that were made because what you're presented with is the polished piece but you know that had to be carved out of stone you know and all i had for tools were these you know um raising up my hands so i think it's i think it's important to to recognize um uh yeah the 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 intensive kind of labor back end of these sorts of of, of projects and um and yeah the peril you know like right. this this was literally presented during the global pandemic like our our effort to adapt this to a digital um, thing didn't make it you know it, it just changed the 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 potential uh concerns and dangers even even going to plymouth uk to do this project in the first place our safety was was primary in my mind as far as as far as this sort of engagement you know and we've all, i was always considering not just like here's the beautiful opportunities that we're going to present but like what are what are the worst case scenarios and how do we you know uh, uh adapt to that sort of scenario so that we're not blindsided if it should happen you know um and i and i i, I think that that that's our that's sacrifice, you know. That's something that we do in 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 an effort to present um, culture and community and care and art. You know, the beautiful the beautiful part is the part that the audience wants to engage with. But once again, like I was saying, with even filmmaking, like that back end of the of of projects and things like that, the the less glamorous kind of aspects of it, the things that keep you up until four o'clock in the morning and bags under your eyes and sore back you know all of all of that sort of stuff I think is also creates a humanitarian experience creates an empathetic experience you know um, we've all worked hard and I, I know there's a romantic idea that artists are prancing around with daisies for hands you know um, but uh, uh, we That's work you. hard <laughs> I literally prance and I wanted to just quickly just mention that there you know this is a very humbling project we didn't have a lot of resources and and it was adam and i filming we didn't have big fancy equipment we had our own personal camera rigs that were used and sometimes you know equipped with that equipment would break um lav mics would you know malfunction uh different things and it was definitely a wild exhausting ride and I did not anticipate the workload prior to this going into it that it was going to be this massive workload because I took on filming you know producing with ginger you know figuring out our travel um you know back and forths with the artists setting up shoot times organizing artist schedules is like, you know, trying to gather stray cats into a pen, you know, like, how do you, how do you manage to, to coordinate a schedule with like five different artists in completely different mediums in three different towns in like two days? It's, it's a, it's, it's crazy. And then when you think about post-production, it's like, I have hours upon hours of footage. I have like, almost like, I think it's like three terabytes of footage right now and and it's it's 
it's so time consuming to edit. And I think editing was like the one, the thing that's killing me right now is because it's uh, it's a lot of footage and it's a lot. And some artists are amazing at, at articulating um, what it is that they're saying, but then they say a lot of it. And so my biggest job is like, what is like the meatiest, juiciest bit of what they said that also is true to what they they wanted to share and it's like represent you know it's like all these decision makings when you have so much good content I think the most difficult thing has been whittling it down you know whittling, whittling into a cohesive piece that makes sense that's like not a 30-minute documentary every time because yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. it's a humbling project you know it, it, it's humble and resources it's humble and and um um and human power you know and human control is humble and in in everything and for me it was it's a huge it's a huge accomplishment and it's a huge achievement and it's because of the way it was made it was I feel like I put my heart into it and I put a lot of myself into this and and it took everybody though. Like as much as I put myself into it, it took everybody and that much more else. So it's like a lot went into this. And it and it I, you know, wouldn't even be here without these artists. So I just am utterly grateful for the artists and of course for Ginger and, and Chinupa because this is a, a I, when, he, when I sit back and think that I'm like, wow, this is a this is a body of work that I didn't even know I was capable of, of helping make happen, you know? So those are my ending thoughts. Just to say, Roselle, like, you know, as it's just like the, the very tip of the iceberg of your work, even watching the films and, but watching them as a body of work, um, watching them in, in relation to each other in different orders with, you know, as I said, like, you know, all those outtakes I'm thinking would be, you know, that I would watch that. I would watch the the bloopers, the outtakes, the anything, uh, any footage that you have because it is incredible work. And um, so I just, just to cl close off, um, we're listening That's to- That's gonna the, be the director's cut, by the way. Ah, the director's cut, what, what's happening with the director's cut? Just, director's Everyone's cut. expecting this extravagant thing. It's just gonna be bloopers upon bloopers of everyone's, you know, dropping uh, dropping their sculpture. Someone, uh, uh, it's gonna be Ian Kualii, like making a miscut and ruining his whole piece. It's gonna be Tanupa, just- uh, Just being me, blooper being real, 24-7. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But also, um, one more thing that I wanted to say too is like, sometimes I've I've shared this body of work specifically specifically with my family and and di just different different friends, and it's like I show them one and they're like, oh wow, you worked months for this, and it's like, I was like, no, there's fifteen more of these, <laughs> and then they're like what and then and then they want to see more and then they're like oh let's keep going let's keep going and then pretty soon it's like an hour and a half later and I've showed all of them wow. and I and I think for me that right there is why I did it because after that there's always conversation oh wow I didn't know that you know oh wow I didn't know this I didn't I didn't know, like 
that person is amazing or this person's work is like oh i thought about you know you know what it was like to you know ex you know all these weird things kind of come up and it's always a massive conversation afterwards and and that to me right there is like the payoff like other people are 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 learning and experiencing why i think these people are amazing you know so at the end of the day that's what it, for me that's what it's about yeah, and I think there's a benefit to it becoming a, a, you know, this digital occupation because it changes who our audience is, you know, um, and that's, that's something that I do really like about the, about the films, um, the documentations of that, even the work that the artists are producing, working on that was for settlement in this, con in, you know, in the context of who's, who's the audience, you know, um, and the thing that I like about it is like, I'm, I'm the audience, you know? And, and I think that that comes through, like each of the artists that were participants in settlement are also the audience, you know? The, the complexity of, of Indian country is so diverse that we don't know what everybody else is doing. We don't know why they're doing it. We're not a homogenized, you know, uh, uh, people. So it was, it's informative for us as well, you know? And I think that as the, the model of why and how these things have been uh, gathered and then presented is uh, a, a, a lot kind of, I don't know, there's something holistic and beautiful about that, um, that the digital occupation provided that a physical occupation may not have, you know, um, it's hard to say we weren't there. I was always interested in like, well, what would we do if we were there, you know? Um, uh, and, and like, they don't even know what we're going to present anyway. So, you know, let's surprise us and then they can be surprised with us. So, yeah, anyway, appreciate that. I, I also, you. I appreciate both of you coming on this show, um, dear fellow settler colonizer to reflect on this. Um, I didn't know what to expect with this show and, um, Chinooper, I just want to just thank you very specifically for, for your role in this, um, in this conversation and an ongoing conversation. Uh, and Roselle coming on um, to speak about your work. Um, I'm just really grateful to you both. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. And you are welcome. And cut. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Somebody's building like crates or something in this building. I kept being like, oh, <laughs> mute, mute. <laughs> The sirens keep going off, and I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> my Zoom just wasn't working. <laughs> That's all that was going on with my anyway, I think, it it's, I think it was still recording, though. I think so, yeah. I think, I think, and luckily, I wasn't saying anything that interesting. So I think it was just as long as you two were actually speaking, everything was fine. So it's good. Good, good. Wow, good. thank you so much. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's basically the hour, probably. Um, I might have a minute to be able to just say the name of the show at the beginning, and then we'll have Chanupa saying he's good at introducing himself, and then we'll go straight well, to the show. Yeah, straight to the we show. We spent like, a good four minutes <laughs> with Chanupa talking about how, how good he was at introducing himself. Uh, so. There's probably already like 10, 15 minutes of pre-recorded me on here introducing myself over and over and over again. <laughs> if you if you're short on time just edit together all of my introductions right after i say i'm good at it <laughs> right exactly